0: Welcome to Basically Famous Podcast. I'm your host Tyler Schuster and I'm so excited to share stories and interviews with you each week with those who are basically famous in my life. I believe these extraordinary people have great stories to tell and I can't wait to share them all with you. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Welcome to this week's episode. Well, hey friends and welcome back to another episode of Basically Famous. I'm so excited to have someone who loves red lipstick and good glasses as much as I do. On yes, campus. thank you. You are you are who shared where I got all my glasses from. I asked yes. you because I knew You did. Um, we met a couple years ago over some cattle women things and just have stayed in touch and I've always been inspired and you work with college students. And so I, I do. think we can relate on that. But Samantha, if you'll tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, first of all,
1: Tyler, no more Samantha. Sam, please. And I am so thankful that you nannied the Poe babies so that I found you. Um. So a little bit about me. So I am Sam Cunningham. I'm born and raised um, in Western Nebraska. I grew up fourth generation on my family's ranch um, along the North Platte River at the bottom edge of the Sandhills. It is my idea of perfect. Um, It is my ideal place to go unwind and at the same time and I just don't get there enough. Um, So yes, I am fourth generation there. We are primarily beef cattle. Um, The entire time that I was from before me um, until I went to college, my family is very active in the purebred cattle business and that was our bread and butter. Um ran the road showing, sold cattle, hosted um sales on ranch. Um, we had folks from all over the country and internationally in and out of the gates all the time. But about the time I went to college, the market um changed for the breed of bulls that we were hustling. Uh their workforce went to college. Um, so a lot of things shifted and changed. And so um we are my dad probably has one of the most over-documented sets of commercial cows out there because a lot of thinking is still that purebred mindset. Um, but until that point, I grew up like a lot of egg kids did. I was in the dirt, but I had my baby doll that I can remember playing in my parents' basement on green shag carpet, perfect for farming, that I would mom my babies and I would put them down for a nap and then when I would farm a little bit, And then I'd wake them up and I would teach them something. And that's what I did. I wanted to be a farmer rancher and a teacher and a mom and a ranch wife. And I'm kind of failing at 50% of that. But 50% of that, I think um, I'm working on and I'm getting better at every day. No two days are the same. No two days are perfect. But yeah, I'm over here being a professor rancher. So that's two boxes that I've checked for that little girl. Um, And then I was in 4-H. I was active in a junior breed association. So cattle were my favorite thing. They were my thing. Um, But I also showed sheep and hogs at county fair. I judged livestock. Um, I was very fortunate to have a successful livestock judging career through 4-H. And so that actually helped put me through college. I judged livestock in Clarendon, Texas for two years. And that's the best decision I have ever made. In my office on campus, I have four diplomas hanging on the wall, and that little one matted in green is my favorite, and I can't talk about it anymore because I will cry. Um, if you're old and listening, I'm one of Jerry's kids. I'm pre-tricle, um, but then I finished my bachelor's at Texas Tech, and I just told a group of students today that when I started college, I wanted to major in ed-com, and I wanted to write write ad copy and stories and take pictures for an ag paper or magazine or a breed association pub and i've never once done a single one of those things my very first semester that i transferred to texas tech my advisor and my junior college judging coach were like you need to give us one semester of animal science classes and they put me in for you animal scientists it was brutal you'll know what i'm talking about animal breeding and genetics Livestock, Repro, OChem, and Ag-Finance. I cried every round of exams. I threatened to quit. Um, Somehow, by the grace of God, I had a great GPA. My scholarships renewed. But I really liked those classes. And so I stuck with animal science. And um, at Texas Tech, again, um, I judged livestock on their livestock judging team. Um... And again, I am old. I did not judge for Dr. Rathman. I judged against Dr. Rathman. And from there, I was like, man, I want to get a job at a breed association. And that was not God's plan. And I looked at master's programs, um, different places, and finally wound up finding my way to a and And so that was when they were all still in the Big 12 together. So Nebraska, and so I didn't go to school in Nebraska, but I was born in Nebraska. And so I have to like them first, right? Because it's like Tom Osborne and Jesus. And so they're all in the Big 12. So I didn't know what to do about football. And then I went ahead and went to Tech's Rival School. And that was that was real hard. Um, but I made it and I bought the Aggie ring, and it's one of my favorite pieces of jewelry. And so I worked through my masters and I doing research on in animal breeding and uh, the way that different breeds perform when they're crossed together. And I was fortunate to be mentored by two amazing gentlemen who believed in me and who let me teach. And that was like a drug to me. And actually I had way more than two mentors. I collected mentors and faculty members and like some folks collect baseball cards and I have wonderful memories experiences from so many on the faculty um, at A&M and some unfortunately are gone and some are still there and it's moved on to different roles um, but I treasure those days and so I wrote a thesis on Brahman and his crosses and I'm this little girl from Nebraska and I was like oh cows are cows it'll be fine I actually learned a lot and I still recall on a lot of that in my current role and they were like we've got a spot for a PhD student do you want to get a PhD and I was like oh no i never thought about it and I talked it over with my folks and my dad was like, education's one thing that they can't take from you. And so I was fortunate that I had an assistantship and that helped me, you know, cover tuition and whatnot. And so I just did the dang thing. And I continued in school at a and I worked on some data similar to what I worked on in my masters. I taught some more labs. Finally, they were like, Sam, you have to quit teaching. Like we need you to write up your research cause you're never gonna get out of here. And I was like, well, that's fine. Um, so eventually I, I did finish and I, I thought that I wanted to go into academia. And again, it's one of those things where it was God's plan beat my plan. So I was like, and I had applied for some positions and made, and that didn't turn out for me. And that's fine because the path so far has been right. So from College Station, I wound up moving to Throckmorton, Texas, and spent almost three years in the R.I. Brown office. I managed their data records, registration. I worked with their cooperators. Um, I worked with their customers. I even spent some time working on their horse books. And so I managed data on a lot of cows. I mother-goosed a lot of cowboys. Um, but that actually was my favorite social life chapter. I remember pulling into town and I was like, Sam, you messed up. There's nothing there. There are 900 people at an sips. And it's just going to be you and all these older than you folks. And what, what in heaven's name are you going to do here? Best social life chapter. There were a bunch of folks that were my age. Granted, most of them were married. A lot of those had kids, but none of us cared. And it was like the days I can remember when I was growing up. So we would, they'd hire a babysitter and leave the kids at one house and we would go to somebody else's house and play board games or cars or barbecue and have a beer. And or we'd take the kids along. We went to ranch rodeos. I um, got involved in the church there and if I missed two Sundays in a row, the The little church ladies, everybody has them. Those elder church gals, they were calling. If you missed two Sundays in a row, Um, I made pies and frozen casseroles for the church bazaar. And I bought their jam and their potholders. And um, I was on the Chamber of Commerce and I helped with 4-H. And we had Bible study in a bar. And it was just, it was really fun. And it was what I needed. But I didn't know that I needed all of that at that time, because no one tells you how hard it is to make friends post-college. That's maybe one of the hardest things in life, and there's no way to prepare you for that. Um, so I had a job that I enjoyed, um, and the Brown family is very kind to me, and I still talk to some of the cowboys that I worked with, And but all of a sudden, again, one of those My folks in Western Nebraska went to a regional beef cow meeting, range beef cattle uh, symposium, and it moved, it shared between CSU, Wyoming, SDSU, and Nebraska. And they went when it was Nebraska's turn one year, and they ran into a gentleman who was on faculty at University of Wyoming, who we had gotten to know when we were showing purebred cattle. He had the same breed and he judged events, and so we showed underneath him. And he coached the judging team at UW and he'd bring his team to our place to practice. So they were visiting with him and he's like, where's Sam? And they told him and he's like, well, my my roommate from graduate school is fixing to retire from, I doubt he said it that way because he's from Wyoming. But anyway, he's fixing to retire and he's at this little school in Illinois and I think she would really like it. Do so you have her email and her phone number? I want her to apply. And so my mom gave him my contact information and he and I got to going on this position at Western Illinois University. And it was all teaching and there was a little cow, there was a small cow herd on campus. There was a bull test where we took in about 75 head of bulls every fall and sold them every spring. And I was like, this is cool. We've never been to Illinois. So I was a little nervous about that. And so and that was hard going in to tell Donald like, hey buddy. I got a job but this is kind of what I went to wanted when I went to school and but everyone at the ranch was super excited for me and so that made it easy to move on and then I didn't realize how much I would recall on what I had become my every day because my every day became such a big was a big part of a little part of my now job when I joined faculty at WIU so I was responsible for this bull test of 70 to 75 bulls from multiple different owners and places in Iowa, Indiana, Illinois. but I was like, I'd have talks with myself. I'm like, Sam, you manage data on sticks and 700 bulls. You can do 70. And we did. And I am so fortunate for that experience because again, I was placed in a space where I had the mentor I needed when I did it. And so I loved being on faculty with Mark Hogue. I still miss teaching with him like once a week. We were the tall and the small of animal science. If any of y'all are familiar with the tall guy that judges mostly cattle and hog shows, but um, look him up. I'm about five, three, and he's about six, three. And, but it was so fun. And I'm like, I need a lot of stuff done, Mark. How do I do it? Cause like, we don't necessarily have a lot of help at the farm all the time. And I can't keep asking you because you have a family and you've got the pigs at the school farm. He's like, students, you ask students. And I'm like, but can we do that? Like, how do we do that? And he goes, you have to believe. If you believe in yourself, they'll see it and like they smell it. And then, and they sense it. And then you have to give just a little bit of belief in them and they will surprise you more than you know. And the more you believe, the more they'll surprise. I didn't quite say it like that, but um, that's how it started. And so we did a lot of things in that barn. And I did a lot of watching like this. Because I'm like, we got to get it done. And I showed you how to do it. But we're learning. And so that was seriously how I trademarked my hands-on teaching thinking sharing was right there but i think that started long before there because i can remember growing up if we had like 4-h kids or something in town or there in the county and they wanted to learn my folks never turned them away we went to their place and had clinics or there were there was a kid or two that wound up bringing their stuff to our barn and keeping it for the summer and they rode with us to shows and just kind of became a member of the family, and they still talk to us to this day, so it must not have been that bad, Um and so then when I was in Illinois, we had, there's like 90 head of um, Angus and Angus cross cows there at the school farm, and we had this little multi-breed bull test. We'd get them every November, and they would come off, off test every February and put on a sale every March, and I need to get those pictures out of boxes and hang them in my office now for inspiration because there's, like, progress there was a smaller group of students that my first sale and then a bigger group and then a bigger group and then this giant group of kids that filled the frame for my last sale in Illinois because you believed and you let them all come because they didn't have to be in a class. Some of them were in my classes. Some of them were in Mark's classes. Some of them just lived in the AGR house and were majoring in agronomy and they were just happy to have a come, come to a place where they felt like they belonged and that's fine because bulls eat corn. So we need those folks too. And so, and we did lots of other things there. I advised clubs and, um, but maybe one of my favorite memories from there had nothing to do with teaching. It had nothing to do with that school farm. Um, our black and bridal club hosted a show every spring. And that one year, it fell, it, I think it was my first year there. It fell over Easter weekend and we just spaced it when we scheduled it. And then, um, we're like, oh no, that's over Easter. And they're like, it's fine. Livestock people will still come. Don't worry about it. And so I was like, okay, that's fine. I'll like get a ham and I'll make some potatoes and a pie and we'll have like a little Easter dinner for everybody that can't go home because the show was on Saturday. And I was like, I'll make something for Easter dinner on Sunday. Surely there'll just be a handful of kids that can't get home on Sunday. I had 30 people in my basement, Tyler. I had to go buy another ham and another 10 pounds of potatoes.
0: You strike me as the person, like, I love feeding people. Like, the Baptist in me, uh, gathering people around a table is, like, what I enjoy. So I can imagine how fun that was for you, though.
1: It's my, it's my family's love language. My grandmother was one of those where her kitchen, the hired men, and my dad and his brothers, and my granddad— Everybody gathered around a round table in a corner that was way too small for lunch. And that's where I got a lot of practice cooking as I got older was coming in from whatever I was doing and then falling into that role of a girl on the ranch, which I am not ashamed of because I probably burned a lot of hamburgers practicing on them and they didn't fuss me too bad. And so but and that and but then we would also, you know host neighbors and brandings and parties and holidays, just like you do. And so, no, this Easter I am not complaining. I'm grateful. I will share this as a memory on Facebook every year till Facebook goes away or kicks me off. Um, because we had to go to the farm and steal tables and chairs and put them in my basement. Because first we we're gonna put them in the backyard, but it was raining, and so then we're in my unfinished basement. That's all that's down there is shelves of storage and laundry. But, and so every year I share that on Facebook and every year I have some of those students and even some of their parents comment that that is one of their favorite memories from their time at WIU. And so I am blessed to be part of someone's favorite memory. Um, and so I spent four years there and it was, it was wonderful. Um, there were good people, we did cool things with cows. I grew um, as a teacher and a professor because I taught three classes in the spring and I taught three classes in the fall and none of those were the same from semester to semester. So I taught the same ones every fall and the same ones every spring, but they were constantly evolving and changing. Um, But there are some things that I don't miss. Um, This little gal from the Sandhills was not equipped to deal with mud. I had never owned boots in my 30 some years until I moved there and I don't know if I've worn them since I don't know if it's trauma or I don't know if I just came back to the high desert climate and I don't need them as much anymore um and so calving cows on mud with ice and snow I don't miss that um and so I was there for four years and my family had been through some things And this position at Colorado State that I am in that has changed from the one I was hired to, but this position at CSU that I'm in, it came open and I didn't even see the posting. Actually, my best friend called me and she said, how far are you from CSU? I was like, a long way right now. Why? And she's like, no, like your folks. And I was like, well, two and a half, three hours. Why? And she goes, there's a position there and it has your name all over it and you're going to apply. I'm going to make you apply And she sent it to my mom and she sent it to me. And she's like, you need to get home. And it's not that I was unhappy with where I was. It was just a welcome open door. It was 12 hours versus two and a half hours. And up until that point, my parents had let me run and chase and do those things. And I was very fortunate for that. Like when we were looking at colleges coming out of high school, we looked at Junior college judging programs that were much closer, and I tried to like sell myself. Well, this one's competitive, and this one's close to home, and this and that and that and this. And my mom was like, "Cut the shit, Sam. Stop BSing us. Where do you see yourself?" And I was like, "I liked Clarendon the best." And they were like, "Good, because we did too. Now that that's settled, let's go home, because we had that conversation in the dark." On the way two eighty seven north, on the way home, Easter weekend, after we toured all of these colleges, we left Clarendon that night and drove all night so I could get back to school the next day. And, yeah, somewhere in the middle between Amarillo and Broadwater, Nebraska, I made a decision where I was going to college. um, but which is kind of fitting because I made the decision between a and m and another university for graduate school at eleven something at night in the hometown bar over Thanksgiving when I was graduating in December in three weeks. So again, we don't get to make our plans. And it is all, it is all about the timing and nobody, nobody I know that's listening to this, please don't come back to me with those words because I say that. And then I'm also one of the most impatient people on the planet. Like the other day I had meltdown after meltdown after meltdown because things weren't happening fast enough or the way that I thought they needed to happen. So, um, I'm at Colorado State University. I just started my eighth fall semester. I have zero idea where the time went. It also feels like it should be much longer than that, maybe because we had a pandemic in the middle. Um, I'm not sure. Um, But when I started here, I was hired in a position to um, revive some hands-on teaching um, for undergraduate students in their second and third years, and then do a lot of outreach and be present out in the state. And So I worked through that, and I wasn't on the job very long, and my dream class was offered to me. Like, I had some staffing things come around, and the gentleman that was the department head at the time um, was actually one of my teachers when I was at Texas Tech, and he offered me my dream class, and I was like, are you sure? The new girl doesn't get this. And he was like, Sam, don't question your boss when he's giving you a gift. And I was like, I know. But I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I can do it. And he was, what do you mean? And I said, well, like, I'm just Sam Cunningham. I don't know if I can be like Jerry Hawkins and Sam Jackson and Chris Gaggs and Jody Sturley. I'm going to cry because they're my people. And he's like, but you need to be somebody's people. And so we I taught a whole lot of kids, a whole lot of labs. I didn't know what I was doing. I had never managed TAs. and we made it and we made it several years. And it was a lot of fun. Sorry. And then right before the pandemic, um, we went through some leadership changes in our department once again. And they were like, Sam, how do you want to, how about you take on our seed stock merchandising program? and I was like what I have 175 freshmen and they're like it'll be fine it's just for the semester we're gonna rotate some stuff around I was like okay again I didn't know what I was doing I knew that I needed to find some pin cattle to show in Denver I needed to dust off my bull sale skills and I needed to work with a group of students that I didn't recruit and and we made it We went to our Wyoming ranch and looked for Angus cattle. We dug through um, our Hereford and Angus herd here on campus. And we eventually settled on four Hereford heifers, three were flush mates and they were very good. One, man, she was just along for the ride. And we went to Denver and we wanted a vision and we stood with greats. We stood with giants in the drive. And to this day, I question, if I did a good enough job showing those students the moves we had made and what a feather in our cap it was, because it was a group of girls and I, what a feather in our cap it was that we had, that we got to stand um, with the ranches we did in the final drive. And so uh, that, that was the beginning of where I am. And then we had a pandemic and then I had to teach online. And I only teach hands-on classes, so we've shelved we shelved some classes during that time. And uh, just this week, like I got some folks pumped up to bring them back. And now that I have enough stuff going, and now I'm got talked to people into bringing that back. I'm like, I don't know if there's enough of you to go around. So um, there's that, but I'll figure it out. Um, and so my role here at Colorado State at present is leading our seed stock and merchandising merchandising and management program and with that um, i've rewritten two courses and written a new course and so the students and i do a deep dive into purebred cattle production management selection marketing but through the process of that we are applying all of their foundations we are boots on the ground at the farm for more days than they're getting credit for probably Um, But that's also because they have a fire in their belly to learn all the things. And so do we intentionally study nutrition? No. But we're reading body condition, we're weighing, and we're relating that back to how much they eat. We're running our through our feed intake unit and getting that feed intake data back. We'll soon have some methane data back so we could weave some sustainability into our discussion because we're Colorado State University and we are the place to come for pap testing and high altitude genetic work we get to work with Dr. Holt himself who is like the guy and I forget that now he's just my friend Tim but I fangirled him once too and so the first two or three labs that students get to work with him and they get to go through all parts of the test with him. He leads them right alongside it. So I'm fortunate to have found another person who teaches similarly to me, um, that they're like, we get to do cool things with big people. And I was like, yes, we do. And so today I just met this new team, this new group of students and they're fired up and I don't think they realize how many things I have on our list because I got behind you to get our calendar done for today. Um, And so with that, so we, you know, we talk about nutrition in an applied sense. Likewise, we're making breeding decisions and we're watching calving season and we're planning for next summer's breeding and make, picking out semen orders and sourcing pasture bulls. And so by default, we are embracing repro and genetics. And then we are pouring over EPDs and genomic data and pedigree data while we're deciding who we're going to keep and maybe what cows we need to make recips out of and what cows we might want to flush and how we want to market a particular female or group of females. And so they're integrating all of that. And so there's this systems approach that I don't think they realize they're getting till they're done. And because everything is so boots on the ground and I'm fortunate that they're small groups, I don't give tests. We have projects that build upon one another because one, projects are more fun to grade, and two, we're too busy doing stuff to study for tests. They have enough tests to study for, and we make sure we study for those tests, but we're tending to business and we're walk- I was they're walking through big herd decisions with me. And they're practicing making decisions alongside me. And sometimes I'm like, mm, guys, that that maybe not be best, but this is why. Um, or, you know, that bull is a really good choice, but not for our cows. Because in my experience, he or maybe his sire hasn't really worked on the genetics that we have. And that's why I'm going to say, try again. Give me a different one and so it's never that they get the buzzer around it's like or no bad idea but we walk through as to why and so we don't necessarily fail we maybe just flip up together um and so through these classes we go through all the basics we study online auctions they study things like sc sales what's more ebay type we watch a lot of dv and superior and live auctions and cci because i can't take them everywhere they need to go to school sadly and so they that way, they're also studying different people's ad layouts and catalog plans and guarantees and terms in their catalog. They're looking to see what sires are selling high sellers, which ones maybe aren't super hot right now. They watch these places on social media, but they don't stop when they're done with my classes because I can't tell you the screenshots I've gotten all summer. And I love it and I live for it and I hope they don't stop. And so today we met for the first day of our sale planning class. And so we will plan our February bull sale all fall. And while we're planning the February bull sale all fall, we're making sure we're developing bulls for sale um, all fall. So we will sell 20 to 22 month old bulls we have in April and so we will, we them in the fall In the winter, they will go through um, our feed intake unit and we'll gather that intake and gain data. And then in the spring, we'll do all of the typical yearling work, um, weights, heights, scrotals, ultra, carcass ultrasound measures. And then we send them to seven to 8,000 feet to graze for the summer. So we can get that pack data because we're CSU also we're marketing these bulls to ranches across Colorado into Wyoming we've sold some to Nebraska Texas into Kansas, and so we've got this region here, but we do have quite a few folks at higher elevations just here in Colorado and Wyoming, who rely on us on PAP data and who have been coming to us for several years even before my involvement in this program. And with that, I realized I forgot to tell you like about the program. Like, oh yeah, I have this. Well, no pressure. It's just in its 47th year, started by Dr. Bob Taylor, beef cattle systems legend. So, like, I can't stop to think about it because then I'll cry about a man I've never met because I've read the cool work that he's done. I've heard stories about the scientist and the teacher that he was. And so It is not lost on me how fortunate I am to get to do what I do. I don't have to do it. I get to do it. And again, friends on the bad days, don't remind me that I said that. Um, And so in, so 47 years ago, he was like, we need to teach our students how to market purebred stock. And so he started a purebred sales class and there was a small group of students and they had a small group of bulls and they didn't make a $2000 average. I don't know if they made a $1500 average, but again that was that was the late 70s. And then he continued Dr. Dr. Taylor continued that. And then in the early 2000s under the direction of Dr. Tom Field, they add they hang on they hung on to that, but then they added more components. And that's when they added the seed talk team. And so that is a group of students who is all in, focused on purebred cattle management and marketing. And that's the group of students that you folks will see showing cattle in Denver, highlighting the sale in our um, departmental booth at NCBA, um, all over social media. They've got an Instagram and a Facebook page. And so Field started that and added those extra pieces. And then as Dr. Field left CSU to do other things, then there was another gentleman before me. And so that's a lot of years with only four people. Um, But it also is a really fun 47 years. I think all four of us have likely found lots of joy from this experience in this group of kids because the best learning happens in the barn, Tyler, you asked me about my billboard. That's not it yet, but that's a good one. So, the best learning happens in the barn when we take all that stuff that we think we've heard in class and we think we remember for an exam and we actually get to see it work. And that's the really neat part about this. And you get to watch students come into their own and you get to watch them develop their strengths and grow in areas where they are like. Cunningham. I don't, I don't like doing that. I'm not, I, I don't want to do that. I was like, well, we all have to do this because we're a team, whether we're on the seed star team or we're just in the classes we're, we're family here. So we're all going to try it. We all might not like it because I don't like scooping bunks either, but cows have to eat. And so um, we do a lot of things and we're like, man, why do we have cows? And then, but we also get the joy of a sale day or new calves, or a good preg check, um, or somebody alumni coming by and with a compliment. So there's there's like lots of wins and those are my wins. I like to walk those wins with the students too, but my wins are mostly like the light bulb moment. And when they leave the nest and go do cool things and get cool jobs and internships and uh, find their way in grad school, um, so, those are my wins um, through this experience. And I'm not sure if I've even answered your question, Tyler. That was a lot.
0: I've learned so much. Now I've decided that I need to come take your class, number one. Come. And two, I mean, this is just you are giving students an experience that's truly pasture to plate. And like <laughs> they are not just sitting in the lecture hall with a projector listening. I mean, they are doing it. And I always say my best experiences in college did not happen in the classroom. My parents probably cringe every time I say that because they paid for me to go to that classroom. But it was the trips and the meeting people and the projects that really cultivated an environment I could learn in. And you're doing that for students.
1: Well, thank you. Well, okay. And you say that. Um, and that brings me back to so a year ago, it was last fall. Um, a little later in the semester than it is now, I had a group of students and we had pulled off a set of bowls so we could take a pen of bowls, uh, Hereford bowls to Denver. And we had a set of heifers we could take and show a pen of Hereford breads in Denver in the yards. And um, they had, we had class on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And on Tuesdays, they had this big gap in the middle of their day. And so they liked to come out and work in the barn before class. And they had bulls tied up that day and the bulls were, had finally settled down. It was like their first day on the hall that they were on the halter that they're kind of figuring out, not, you know, all over the place. And they sent one, and the barn is right behind our classroom where we have class. And they sent one student, I think down to my office as tribute. And they were like, we've got bulls tied up and they're acting really well. For you know, not being very many days. What are we doing for class today? Do we need to have class? I'm like, yes, we need to have class. We got to plan a sale, and they're like, well, can we talk about it in the barn? And I was like, if you can figure out a way that we can have class in a barn, we'll do it. Um, they went in the storage unit and got a table. They went in the closet and got an old TV without a stand. They went and found a power strip and extension cord. They stole a whiteboard on a stand from the classroom and they went in our storage unit and got the camp chairs and they set up a classroom in the barn behind the bulls so that they could leave bulls tied up because they needed time tied to the rail and we needed to have class. And they were like, this was really fun. Can we keep this up? And so we did that for two more weeks and then it got too cold. And so we had to have class in the classroom because we, our teeth were chattering and we couldn't listen to learn. But um, so no, we really do learn a lot um, about life, about each other and about bovines in that barn. It's a good thing those walls can't talk.
0: (laughs) Well, what motivates you? I mean, every single day to do as many things as you're doing when your feet, like what is getting your feet on the ground each morning?
1: I don't know. I have dreaded you asking me that question. <laughs> it's a day-to-day thing. Uh, sometimes I do get real excited about something that's on the calendar. And sometimes like, it's a hard conversation with myself to be like, man, you really need that paycheck and you like health insurance. I think mm-hmm. it's just like, um, I think it's like anyone else. Um, lately, um, the last few weeks, I, d- I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's, this, um, if it's, it's the season of life. I don't know if it's a moon thing. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but there has been like way more like bounce out of bed, fire um, than there has been. Um, but then my morning routine, I've also gotten back to some things that I had strayed away from for whatever reason and not intentionally. It just, you know, how things drift in and out of your day. Um, I've gotten back into like journaling, and devotion. And spending some quiet time and sometimes it's five minutes sometimes it's 15 minutes sometimes it's like 35 minutes and I'm like girl you got to get going um and so I don't know if that time um has helped I don't Tyler I wish I wish I knew um no I
0: think that's so good because I feel the same way like some days it's like wow I've got this today and here we go and other days it's like girl you need a paycheck and some insurance come on And I think some people think every day that people wake up and they're just like, heck yeah, new day. Like, no, it's not like that.
1: No. I mean, and there are some days, and I know that everyone probably has days like this where you wake up and you dread and it's just like sucking the life out of you, whatever it is, it can be one thing and it can be like a 10 minute thing or a two hour thing, but it will have the same sense of weight and dread. And then most of the time it probably wasn't as bad as you were thinking um and then and then those wins and there have been quite a few of those wins for me lately and so I think it's just like a season thing and a timing thing um and a lot of it then is also who you're choosing to be in your circle but I also don't I don't get to choose a lot of my circle because I mean I get to choose I mean, I don't get to choose the people I work with, but I get to choose a lot of the people that I team up with from work. I don't get to choose the students in my class. Um, And so those kinds of things have made me approach things very differently as I've gotten older. Um, And also students have changed, God, I sound so old. Students have changed so much from the time like I was in college. And then from the time that I was in grad school and leading labs on my own, um, and then even just the shift from when I was at WIU to here, granted, that's very different in like the size of school and the type of school and the type of students that we would, the population of students that we would have, but all universities are seeing the same shift. And so, and we're, I mean, there's the same shifts that are coming in and out of our high schools. There are the same shifts that we're seeing, whether it is in employment pools or in the crowd that you're walking through the grocery store with. And so that also sometimes I have to remind myself that I'm in a unique place that while I may have more and more students that are coming from outside of ag, I'm in a unique place to not teach them, but to share with them what we do and what we love, because I don't want to be taught necessarily about something I don't know about, and I may not have curiosity about. Um, But if somebody shares something with me, then I might want to learn about that through sharing. And so um, approaches to some of those things have become, have gotten a little different. Um, But then it's also the fun part about what I do, because as my students are coming from different backgrounds, helping them learn from one another and helping them share their own story. And I guess I left that out, but I've built that in to be a big part of our classes. Um, we do some advocacy things. We do some communication things. We practice some social media things because those things are part of our life. They're not going anywhere. And because we talk a lot about purebred cattle and the, you know, the genetics and the foundation of our beef industry, because you know we're making purebred cattle, but we're not top purebred, top tier purebred producers. So, we're getting genetics from those folks. We're just kind of like a middleman, if you will. And then we are hustling genetics to other purebred producers and mostly commercial producers. But we still have call animals, just like every. I don't care if you're raising hogs um, or cows or if show dogs. Not everybody, not every dog is going to make a rich, a bird dog or a show dog, right? So, every, every industry we're in is going to have something that's not quite ideal. So, we have to think about what we're going to do with those that don't meet our optimum specs and how we're going to market those. And so we do spend a lot of time talking about that. How, yeah, we're in the business of purebred beef, but we're also in the business of commodity beef in one way or another, Um, either through supplying genetics or direct supply of call animals. And so again, it's that whole system adding more links to the chain thing. And I'm sorry, I backed way up um in that discussion but no that you're what gets me out of bed in the morning an alarm clock and a coffee pot and i'm telling you it's a game changer if you get a coffee pot that brews the coffee on a timer so when you wake up the smell is already there i follow you on the gram are your adventures with the nespresso going
0: they're they're going okay I, I haven't drank any this week because i don't have milk and i'm not drinking it just hardcore
1: oh i love <sighs> So, um, when I started grad school, I was in an office, um, with a gal I knew from undergrad and she's, she's very kind. She's a very nice person, but she's not a frills person. And so I'm like, okay. And I only drank coffee with creamer and stuff at that point. And I was like, well, I got, I'm not going to like be a wimp and like need all this extra stuff. And then it was like her and I had a bunch of dudes. And I was like, shoot, I don't know what to do here. We don't have a fridge. Like, how am I going to drink coffee? So I went cold cold turkey, black coffee.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: In that office is this great big, tall, five-inch brim, West Texas taco hat, starchy pants, underslung heels every day. You know that big, deep drawer on the side of your desk? He opens it, not full of files, full of coffee supplies. Creamer, flavored creamer, different kinds of sugar. Oh, yeah. But I was too far in my black coffee journey to go back. <laughs> so, yeah, I order my lattes black. I drink black drip coffee. Yeah. I also have an espresso, so I rotate it in and out of the closet with my other one. But, yeah, so an alarm clock and a coffee pot really is what gets me out of bed in the morning.
0: Well, I used to drink coffee for the sugar, not the coffee. The older I've gotten, the more I've gotten into the coffee, not the sugar.
1: That is is good.
0: And I think a life skill everyone should have is they should be able to drink a glass of unsweet tea. Like when you go to a nice dinner and the drinks are already set, I hate when people get sugar packets and they make a mess. And It was like my biggest pet peeve when I was student body president is like, I would take these other students and I would be like, oh my God, like stop with your sweet and love. Like.
1: I'm about to, tell, I'm about to tell the world something that I think, yeah, only my friends are in on. So, um, you bring up sweet tea. So there are some things, so I spent 15 years in Texas, a lot of school and some life, uh, but there are some things y'all did not convert me on. Um, no sweet tea for me unsweet sweet place. Um, so when I was on the judging van in senior college, uh there is this kid from West Texas sitting in the seat in front of me and he turns around, we just stopped somewhere and we get back in and he sits down and turns around and he goes, Sam, I was like, what? He goes, you know, you can fool a lot of people like jewelry, hair, like just you, like that you are here, but then you just do some things that are just, no, you're not you don't drink sweet tea. You don't eat chicken fried steak. You don't eat biscuits and gravy and you don't care. You don't like pecan pie. And I'm like, that is true.
0: That's like the four staples of the state of Texas.
1: (laughs) I know I drink unsweet tea. I do like chicken fried steak, but never white gravy. So no biscuits and gravy. Okay. And uh, no pecan pie, but I make a mean buttermilk pie. I, I have a recipe that, uh, your, uh, mentor, Dr. Poe is still trying to get out of me. So there's a dear friend's mother that shared that with me. So I'm like all Southern ladies right now. I'm not sharing my recipes or I got it from her and I don't know if I have permission to share. So no, I do make a good buttermilk pie. I can send references, but not a recipe.
0: <laughs> I love that. My mom never measures anything. So when you're like, how did you make that? And she's like, well, you know, a dash of this. And I'm like, "Mother, like I." if I were cooking for an army, a dash of this would work. I'm one person. Like I need some frame of reference.
1: I can't help you with that because I've been away from home for a long time. That's how my mom cooks. Um, and no, so I freeze a lot of things or I invite a lot of people over because, and I haven't done that in a while. So I've had the itch to, um, have a brunch, um, or, uh, maybe family dinner, but yeah. yeah, I, uh, I need to I need to get back into that because feeding people is, and hosting is, um, is one of my love languages. I don't think that's probably in the book, but yeah.
0: Me too. I love, I love having people over and feeding them. So you're very passionate about what you do. You wear a lot of hats. Um, and I feel like we kind of talked about this on Instagram of just like creating boundaries and figuring out balance, and there's no right or wrong. I feel like we're all figuring it out, and we're always going to be figuring out, but what have Um, you done that works for you?
1: I have to practice every day,
0: and
1: until very recently, I was not very intentional about it, and I also think it goes in seasons, because we are always growing, Um, whether that is mentally, intellectually, spiritually, emotionally, like all of those things, I'm not talking about physical growth. Like we're, we're, that's just not the space here. So we're all, we're always growing, right. And evolving and things are happening around us, um, that are causing us to shift, um, our mindset or our approach or, um, whatever. And so for a long time, like there weren't like I don't know if you get to have boundaries on a ranch as a ranch kid because work needs to be done life doesn't stop um you need to check water and put out salt and make sure pivots are running and cows are in fences are up or maybe you're running parts or you're taking lunches um okay so I'm showing I'm showing my cards my I'm showing everybody my hand here um I wasn't the tractor driver I don't think my dad trusted me. Clearly not for row crop. I mean, some hay raking now and then, yes. But um, I was I was a really good gopher and I was um, good at managing show barn and making sure cows had salt and mineral and um, kind of know your role and fill those gaps. And there's always gaps on the ranch, right? And sometimes it's going to check on your neighbor and sometimes it's neighboring, you know, and going to help them with something and they'll return the favor when it's needed for you. And which by the way, I think is a lost art. And um, so- I don't know if there was. And then you go to college and you're on a livestock team, judging team. There are no boundaries because then you're on the team. And then like you're in clubs, like lock and bridle or society or both, or in my case. And so again, there's no boundaries because everything is scheduled and there's not enough sleep or rest or water or whatever. I'm not sure how I live through my twenties. And then you get to grad school and you don't have boundaries because you're teaching and you're managing research and you're going to class and you're figuring out this other layer of freedom that you didn't have in undergrad because it's not quite as regimented and but because then you're like layering on responsibility and class I don't know it was just different even though it's still school and then um and so you're always having to kind of refigure those boundaries and even if you're in the same job for quite a while you're going to have different co-workers you're going to have different bosses there's going to be different environments and climate um outside of there, what be it political or economical or whatever that's going to cause you to have to like readjust your lens and so like I don't again I don't have a good answer for this because I'm terrible at it honestly and I should just spade a spade and say I'm bad at boundaries but I'm getting better um and they're little things and they might seem little to some um but I don't check my work email after six or seven o'clock at night. Um, It can wait until morning because it's after business hours everywhere. And I tell my students that, like I finally put it in my syllabus. Dr. Cunningham doesn't address emails between 6 p.m. and 8 a.m. And they don't need to know that sometimes I get there at 6.30 and I like to drink a cup of coffee by myself in the quiet and read through their emails. But I don't want to give them like that free access of expectation plus they're not awake anyway.
0: and that's and then, why I'm teaching them time management. I finally yes. decided. Like, I'm sorry you needed that the night before, and at 11 p.m., you decide to email me. Like, that's poor time management on your part, not my part. I mean, and sometimes things come up, and life happens, and then we
1: figure out how to life. And so, when that happens, that is when we pivot. So, two years ago, I had, I had a seed stock team, and they were my first after the pandemic. They were the first that I had recruited all six of them. They will, they will always be something special. We talk all the time. We've never deleted our group chat, Um, but I forget what even started it, but we just, when stuff would happen, like something would get sick or turn up lame or weather or whatever it was, we would just start yelling, pivot, like Ross. And Chandler, is it, are they the two on friends that are moving the couch up this way? Yes. yes. And then we send we send the meme, and so now it doesn't even have to be about you know stuff at CSU Farm because a lot of us aren't there anymore. Um, but sometimes we still sneak that in, and it then it carried on to the team after them, and it's it's going to carry on to every team after that because pivot because. For us, we work in ag and it's all biological. I don't care what you're talking about. We have the weather, we have plants, we have cows, we have people and it's a system. And so, um, again, I need to follow my own advice. Lots of deep breaths and grace. And that is easier said than done. I tried to write one email three times today and did a lot of backspace deleting. And I still probably didn't sound like a very nice person when it finally sent, but I was out of time. So, um, again, those boundaries, um, also I don't like my work. My emails do not ding, vibrate, whatever, when they come into my phone, they're just there. I have a stupid high number and that little red circle, but that's for me to worry about. Um, and then I also, in the last couple of years, well, especially, I think it started right after we were coming out of the pandemic and doing everything online. Um, I try not to be on a screen after six or so. Like I will watch TV, I will read a book, I will, you know, cook, um, and do different things around the house. I will talk, you know, talk to friends on the phone, but the laptop, no, data work, heavy thinking, journal articles, heavy thinking, no. Um I read fiction if I'm going to read something that is not work related and it's usually nonsense really lightweight fiction that I don't have to like hang on to a lot of things to follow um and then I also have set the permissions on my work calendar to where I have to schedule the meeting um and I know that drives a lot of assistants across campus crazy but I know that I can't control everything, but I do know just for my personality, I need to rein in the things that I can. And that is one thing that I can do. Um, So like, those are some little things. And also some of it is just like learning about yourself and self-awareness. And this is all also pretty new to me um, in the last few months. Um, But like July, so June, had a lot of family things going on fortunately it was it's all sorted out wonderfully but it was a lot and it was heavy and I didn't realize how heavy how much I had taken on um just like mentally and emotionally until I slept for three days the first of July and then um and then I traveled for two solid weeks for work and it was awesome because I got to I went um, on a trip with a college and a career fair, and there were cows and cow people and cow kids and cheese curds, and it was good. And then I was home for two days, and then I left again. I just like switch gears and change hats because I went to scientific meetings to present for the first time since graduate school and see folks I hadn't seen in a long time and see my best friend who I talk about show calves, show cattle with, and we talk science. We talk about her kids. She took a cat in her purse to Walmart today. So like all the things. And then um, I did that. And then I swung by Southwestern Colorado and looked at some cattle that we had grazing on pasture. And it was amazing. I forgot how good a road trip was for the soul. So the, the first week I flew. And then the second week was a lot of driving. Um, and then I got back from that. And like the day after I got home, I had two invitations with people I adore that are friends that have become family. We have shared holidays. I love on their babies. Um, we've cried and laughed and all the things together. And they're like, Oh yeah, you're back, but like, come have a beer or come to supper. And I'm like, I can't, I love you, but I need to introvert for one more day. And so there are people that knew me when in a different life chapter that are going to be like, Sam, introvert, what? Um, and I was like, I just need another day. And then like the next day I called and I was like, okay, if you're up for something, I- I'm reset, like for a little bit, for a low key. Um, and so I think part of that is just like recognizing that you've got limits and surrounding yourself with people who are, that know your limits. They can either see them or sense them, or when you say them, they're like, okay, how can I support you? And so not, yeah, not a whole lot of good advice um, necessarily on boundaries, but a lot of that is just continuing to work on who you are and remembering who you are.
0: That is so good. And talking about your circle and the people in it and having people who don't push your boundaries, they support your boundaries is crucial. I well, I And do. you have to
1: find those people that know when to push and the button to push um, because there are some people that will do that and you know you're going to tell them to kick rocks and they probably deserve it because they haven't earned that spot in the inner circle, but you need that inner circle who's going to call you on your bullshit and say stop being ridiculous or to remind you to get up and do it because you can, and they remember you can when you can't.
0: That is so good. Well, Sam, to wrap up our time today, the much anticipated question, if you had a billboard, what would be on it and why? Oh,
1: the billboard.
0: Could I first go through like the list of suggestions I had? I think so, they were pretty comical.
1: Um, There was one that was equal rights for redheads. There was one that was kind of cliche, not quite live, love, laugh. Um, There was, oh, we did just say um, the best thing, the best learning happens in the barn. Um, And then there was one that I actually came up with. Because I hear you're having Lauren Loveless Murray on soon.
0: I am next week, actually. Did you know that Lauren and I went to
1: tech together? We were blocking bridal advisors together. We lost track of each other after we graduated from tech, like doing internships and grad school different places. And it was my first like month or so at the Brown Ranch. We were reunited. She called looking for horse registration papers for the Fort Worth Remuda horse sale.
0: Oh my gosh, I didn't like that small world. Yes, I also just yes. interviewed Tucker, Tucker Brown.
1: <laughs> um, I made Tucker's 16th birthday cake one day on the job. <laughs> that was one of my tasks. I love that. Uh Pioneer Woman's chocolate sheet cake, if you must know. Um, I think it was 16, but it was one it was one of his birthdays. So yeah, but no, um, and yeah, Lauren and I um, talk all the time. I am um, fortunate that she and Patrick are gonna stop and uh, see me on their way through Colorado in a week or so a couple weeks so what did I tell her I was because we were both like brainstorming back and forth on what this uh, she's been
0: talking to everybody about the podcast so I she's, had, I had she's Natalie, really, like, her best friend now uh-huh, on last uh-huh. night and she's like yeah I've been talking to Lauren she's really wound billboard. up about the billboard and she hasn't even I sent her questions tonight and
1: I told, and I told Lauren, like, yo, like, you need to put something on there about horses and dogs and mystery stuff. Your husband leaves you in your driveway.
0: Yeah. What the hell? Is if that- you follow her on
1: Instagram, you will know. So y'all go look her up. But, um, no. And then, so then like last week I was like, oh, there's like so many things. And so I was like, be, be you live big by the hat which I do, which I do like, I do like a hat, I, I've got one in mind. But again, you keep those people in your circle who are going to remind you what you need when you aren't realizing what you need. And so, uh, I think it might've been about the time she had the cat in her purse with her preschooler in, in the Walmart. Um, I texted my best friend, I was like, it's podcast day today, and I still don't have a billboard. And she goes, Yeah, you do. I was like, what? Hashtag learn from Fern.
0: Oh, I love that.
1: So um Fern is my middle name. And she has become she has she has versions that have developed and shown themselves over time. Um, But learn from Fern was actually a hashtag that one of my students at WIU came up with one day. We're out in the pins talking about a set of bulls. And I didn't realize what she had done until it shows up on social media after class. She took a picture of me all bundled, stocking cap, coveralls, coats. It was good look. And she posts it with hashtag learn from Fern and it has stuck. Um, but I am so grateful for that. And I am so proud of her because she's went on to vet school and she's practiced in different types of practices. And now she's teaching part-time, some pre-vet students um, at WIU and their school of ag. And she's also a part-time practicing veterinarian. But no, that's where um, learn, hashtag learn from Fern started. And so it's also one of those like little reminders or winks to um to get back, get back to where you started or where you came from. So, you know, maybe I won't professor forever, um, but I would imagine I will probably always hold court. And so there will always still be learning from Fern.
0: Well, I love that so much. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank this you for interview. having me. This was so fun. I really enjoyed it.
1: Yes, well, we can do it again and not record it.
0: friends thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of basically famous i hope you've been inspired challenged and motivated to take on whatever today brings please be sure to follow us on social media at basically famous podcast subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review we'll see you next week